Hi, this is Lori Rayfeld with God Aliens and a Cup of Coffee, and I'm here today. I'll be speaking shortly with Gary Hazeltine. Can your eyebrows go up? Gary. And he wrote, you could pronounce it Hazeltine. I gotta straighten that one out. But anyway, Gary wrote this book, Non Human. This is a, a copy that is. Um, the first one of the first few copies, I think that um, I was fortunate to get and then it was pulled off Amazon and then it was put back on Amazon. So all is good. Everyone can get a copy of this book. What I find interesting is some of the questions we're going to ask him is non human. Hmm. I don't know. I have a lot to think about. The other thing and I'll probably mention it again is I, I wish Mel Stanberry, um, my condolences for the loss of her husband, Terry Stanberry, who was a member of the 81st Security Police Squadron, uh, Bravo Flight. He was one of my very first friends that I made when I first arrived at RAF Bentwaters in 1978. In fact, we, I went with him and with his roommate, Terry, the two Terrys, Terry Ulch uh, to London and we had a wonderful time and and then you know schedules get crazy and we just kind of move on and and but they were always 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 my my brothers and my heart also goes out to not only Terry's wife but also to um, Terry Ulch because they've been lifelong brothers and um, I just think the world of both of them. I truly do, and it's it's a it's a great loss. I have not yet 100% processed it all, but but he was there on the ground with me. Um, did he see the UFO? I don't believe so, um, but he was one of the people that would always make you laugh. And I'm talking about Ted, Terry Stanbury, and he was just always there for everyone, the life of the party. He always had a really, really great, fabulous, amazing sense of humor. Anyway, I'm dedicating this particular podcast to Terry, who I know is in the ethers, up in heaven, and yeah, looking at us and knowing that he's loved. And so anyway, I'm going to put this on pause. And lastly, yes, I'd like to welcome you to God Aliens and a Cup of Coffee. I'd like to welcome you to Rendlesham Lone Ranger. This is Lori Rayfeld with Rendlesham Lone Ranger. Who is Lone Ranger? Me, of course and many others actually. If you go on Facebook, my particular group has been in many, 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 many different books. So I may not be famous, but my pot, my, um, my group is. And, and it is because many of my friends and colleagues from my time in England from 1978 till December of 1980, were uh, are on the Facebook page, and many of them 
have bits and pieces of the whole puzzle to what is going on at or what was going on at RAF Bentwaters at that particular time. We used to call it communication security. And communication security was something where we each had bits and pieces. And if you put it all together, you could get a full story. And we were always told not to do that. And the leadership there, and I'm not talking about uh, Colonel Halt or, or the wing commander. I'm talking about Major Malcolm Ziegler did a great job him and probably the Office of Special Investigations did a really wonderful job on how to keep anything out there from, from getting out there and about even senses of curiosity of what happened? What happened? Hey, I want to know. And that you know, was one of them. But so that's why to me, it's so invaluable that so many of the members of the 81st Security Police, including myself, are, are getting a little up there in age. I mean, now I'm at the point where I could sing that Beatles song, When I'm 64, Will You Still Need Me? Will You Still Feed Me? Well, guess what? I am 64 years old. Fortunately, I think I look pretty darn good. but. That's not what I'm here to talk about. I'm just here to say that I'm planning on having two podcasts now. Some of them will overlap, but most of the information that you'll find, um, it will be on God Aliens and a Cup of Coffee. That's not going away because it's too much fun. And Rendlesham Lone Ranger, which I really think does deserve its own podcast. And it can also be then linked to uh, my Rendlesham Lone Ranger page on, on Facebook. And what's nice about this too, is that many of us who were witnesses to extraordinary events, being just ordinary people, are now really researchers. You believe that? Yeah, we're researchers now. Um, and some of us have learned too much about so much that sometimes it's always nice to have a guest on that can help, you know, um, dissect layers and then put it together too. One of my future, one of my future guests is going to be George Conway. You know, George was, he, he got to Bentwaters in 1979. So to me, he was my kid brother. I loved him. I still love him. George, I love you. And he, was always so optimistic and always so real and genuine and authentic that it resonated with me. And he was very playful enough that we, we actually had fun with it. Um, so he's going to be on there. And there's a huge piece to the Rendlesham Forest that, again, it gets kind of overlooked. But my key to this is that we are getting up there in age. I mean, and a lot of people call what happened over in England, um, the UK, uh, Roswell. But here's the thing, no one seems to want to talk to the witnesses during that time frame, which is really incredible to me. I, I don't get it. I do not understand. 
but that's okay. And I, I do, uh, you know, I, I guess like anything, I was pretty naive when I started all this, and now I'm not as naive anymore. So I uh, just realized that, you know, you got to keep plugging along, you know, people will still want to hear from these so-called experts who um, have had too much time. And then there, there are others out there that, you know, if anything, could give you a sense of what it was like there for them. And we all have different perspectives, and it's pretty impressive and pretty amazing. Actually, remarkable is the word I'm looking for. Well, anyway, I'm waiting for Gary Hazeltine to come on. And as soon as he does, I will be, I will be right back. Well, something came up with Gary, so we are going to have our meeting on the 16th on Friday, which is still fine. But I, I'd like to share some information of what I gleaned from this book. One thing is that it is really going to be very, very handy when you watch um, the documentary Cable Green. And the Cable Green is still in the works. Uh, Dion has been working really hard on it. He's the uh, director, camera operator, editor. He is the man. And so a lot of it came out. Um, what I found in this book is that Gary had taken a lot of the information there and actually put it in writing. And sometimes writing goes really well with video, personally, documentaries especially. And one of the things I found interesting is that Gary also included his thoughts and compared it to what others had said and compared it to uh, what other truths were out there because there are shades of different perspectives and truths. And so he did a great job with that. I still wanna know what the non-human part is um, I found it really interesting that he also included a uh, person I had never heard of, James Stewart. I love saying this. Not that James Stewart. He's he's already gone. He's up in heaven somewhere. Jim, Jimmy Stewart. Yeah. Uh, the, James Stewart, from what I read, was part of the uh, OMS, and they worked on the aircraft. They're. Uh, they, they were pretty wild. I, I mean, my perspective of any other squadron, well, to include the 81st Security Police Squadron, um, when they were home, they partied hard. And at that time, back in that day, it was the um, doing, <clears throat> excuse me, um, having toga parties. Yeah, they were having toga parties in the rain over in England. God bless America. But one of the things he had talked about with uh, this gentleman, James, is, is the fact that 
he was actually near, he was at RNF Woodbridge, and he was near, um, not that far, but not that close to East Gate, which is also butted up against the Rendlesham Forest. And he had heard he was underneath the aircraft. He was doing some work on it. And it's, it's more detailed than what I'm sharing, but that will pique your interest to either buy the book and see Cable Green when it comes out. So he was working on it and he, he heard some sounds. In fact, let me see if I can find it in here because it was really interesting. And of course, I am in this book too. Well, let me see here. Oh. 359, page 359, okay. So let's go to page 359. I'm getting there. Almost not on that page, but I'm going to find it because I really, really want to talk about this to my audience. And let me see here. Ah, here it is. It was 353. I wasn't too far off. 353. Here we go. Okay. The New Testimony of James Stewart. This was a, I mean, based on two interviews, and of course, there's going to be a whole lot more detail when you see Cable Green. Um, 28 December 2020, and also in January of 2021, um, he was talking to was through Facebook Messenger Assistant Crew Chief Airman First Class James Stewart. This was an audio. Um, he said that he was enlisted in the U.S. Air Force in July 1977, and after tech school, his first assignment was RAF Woodbridge, where he was assigned to the 78th Tactical Fighter Squadron, which at the time was 81st OMS. OMS is Organizational Maintenance Squadron. I think that they would be organizing the maintenance, but I think there was more to it than that they had to use screwdrivers and different kinds of tools. And he was an assistant crew chief for the F-4D, Phantom F-4 fighter jet. Now in 1977, and early part of 1978, when I got there, oh, those things were loud. Those things were, were made of smoke. Talk about messing up the climate. But they were freaking loud. And when they flew like 100 feet over my head, uh, treetop level, it made me leave my gate check and I took a dive into this bunker that no one went into. It was full of cobwebs and all kinds of crap, but I thought I was going to die. I mean, it was really, really frightening, but I digress. He mentioned that in late December 1980, 
um, he was assigned to night shift from 2300 to 0600 hours. Um, he was working on, he was working on the uh, phase dock that was at the engine trim pad. See, these are things none of us knew about. And when, when you're a cop, all you know is that they, you, you know that they're working on something. You don't know what the location is called or what they're calling the location. We might just call it a parking area. <clears throat> we did know they had probably the best area where they had vending machines so we can get soda and maybe some uh, peanuts. And then, um, so he's, he's doing his job, working hard like crazy. And then he noticed to the right some bright lights, which he believed initially to be an aircraft. Uh, a lights were approximately 300, 400 yards from him at a low altitude, perhaps 2,000 feet. Well, if you heard of my UFO sight, and that thing was almost 50 feet off the ground. I was unable to recognize the object as an aircraft I was familiar with. Okay, so that was interesting too. And then he said, he, <clears throat> at the time of the incident, I was alone. The only person that was nearby was a security police officer who was in his guard shack by the east gate. I estimate the shaft was approximately 40 yards away from my location. I did not know if he had seen the light I had been looking at. Believe me, he saw the light. When you're sitting in a little box, you're looking for anything that really stands out. And anything with light will stand out in the pitch darkness of a midnight shift. So yes, he did see. Um, and then he said that he went back to work and he wasn't too concerned of the light. And then a master sergeant told him that, was a master sergeant, yeah. Um, he told him not to pay too much attention to anything seen in the car, car sky, as there was hush, hush things going on. Well, I don't know if somebody would actually add the hush, hush part, but they knew how to make it in such a way that, again, you did not want to talk about it. And as he moved closer, I was able to distinguish its outline, which was diamond shaped and unlike anything I'd seen before. So then this was interesting. Suddenly, at the time this was all taking place, I was kneeling and working on the underside of the aircraft engine bay doors. So question is, okay, he's under there, yet he can see this and he can make up with the, um, the shape. Now it is possible because we're not talking about big aircrafts. We're talking about you know, going under an aircraft was not that big. Um, so then all of a sudden he felt the aircraft shudder briefly and he heard the sound of scratching coming from above him. Now that would creep me out. And the strange thing about that is that uh, when I first got to Woodbridge, Bentwaters, I remember there being a uh, feeling in my mind, which is such a way, yeah, 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 yeah. But you know, I thought there was a gray behind me. And he had long fingers, so there you go. So, and so he said, um, 
to receive it. I moved away from the engine bay doors and began to climb the ladder that went up to the cockpit, cock, cockpit of the aircraft. Brave man. Just as I neared the top of the ladder, I briefly, I felt a brief sh second shudder of the aircraft. Then something appeared to jump off the spine of the aircraft by the tail. Okay, now that's interesting. And scurry away into nearby bushes. I saw something moving through the bushes without seeing what the object was or what this non-human being was. And so an eight-foot base perimeter fence was close by to these bushes. However, within seconds, I saw the bushes on the other side of the fence moving. It was as if something had either jumped over or passed through the fence and was now on the other side of it. At no, no time did I see what the actual thing was that was moving through the bushes. And then when he looked at the canopy area, he noticed what he could only describe as claw marks scratched onto the canopy windshield. So it, it continues to go on apparently at one point um, while he's examining it, the, uh, the windshield. He heard a security police officer by the east gate discharging his M16 rifle. He was firing at something. I heard two shots in quick succession and I heard him shout, what is that? Leave, get out of here. I'm kind of thinking, talking to um, Stacy Smith, it could have been him. Because um, he was definitely into rock and roll and getting out there. I mean, if someone's coming at him, he, you know, these guys didn't mess around. But, but it was still interesting that most people didn't know about it because, again, they were probably told to keep your mouth shut. And that, again, reminds me of what happened with Larry Warren. Because Larry, like me, although he didn't have experience at this point, he had been at the base for barely a month um, when he decided he had to call his mom. And he was probably all of 18 at that point, 18 years old. So he's a kid. We were kids. Uh, by that point, well, I wasn't even there. I, I was home for Christmas, so I wasn't even there. My UFO sighting at the same location that flew over the base happened in February 1980. I was not alone. I was with Airman First Class Keith Duffield, but that's, you know, that's beside the point. My point is here is that we were all kids. At the time, I was an old 21-year-old. So it's just really hard to, you know, imagine what and why we were all put under a lot of duress, a lot of stress to shut up, do your job, go home. And, and that was my mantra before I left England. Um, but if I had my UFO sighting at the very beginning of when I got to Bentwaters in May of 1978, I probably too would have pursued it with questions and 
going out and looking and trying to figure it out. Reason being is at that point, I wasn't afraid. I was gung-ho, I was in the Air Force, I was indoctrinated. You know, I was just so happy to be at, in England. I, I was just a happy-go-lucky kid. And it didn't take long for the leadership to really, really um, push it out of me. And, and then it got to a point when I started seeing what was happening to other men, young men who were pursuing, asking questions, or, you know, I mean, maybe just doing some crazy crap, you know, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, silly guys, there were a lot of immature people there. I mean, we were all, again, young. I mean, this, when you look at the airmen who are, are close together, you know, the maturity level is, I don't know, some are more mature than others, what can you say? But the bottom line is, is that I would have pursued it and probably would have been railroaded out. When you railroad it out, it's such a weird phenomenon because if I had been railroaded out of, an, out of a place while I was in the Air Force. Nope, excuse me, take that back, x that. While I was in the Army Reserves and I was a captain at the time, I was at the Defense Equal Opportunity School down in um, Patrick Air Force Base. And the leadership there, um, I came back as a, to help as an assistant to the instructors. And I, I had done it like three, four times. So I was, you know, happy. Plus I got to go near the beach, you know, it was nice. And I started saying a few things. I was a little bit more honest of my own experiences while I was in the Air Force. And a couple of the people in the leadership didn't like that. And they literally um, lined up together and lied. This is the leadership. They lied and then they uh, told me to leave, told me to pack my bags, go. So I was devastated. I mean, I've been in the military for 20 something years. And the thing that really disappointed me was is that Defense Equal Opportunity School at that time really didn't care about equal opportunity didn't really care about the fact that at the time, many, many women had never made it up to the three, four star level. I mean, when you're talking about one person versus others, and because they wanted it to be, well, we're going to teach you how to be, you know, to treat people fairly and to know the difference between what, what prejudice is and whatnot. But the whole environment at this particular place was toxic. Now, at 81st Security Police Squadron, same thing. Extremely, extremely toxic. As soon as you were there, you were under the magnifying glass. And there wasn't a time where people would get to know you and be respectful and treat you with dignity. That wasn't happening. It was like, it's like, Warren, shut up. How could you say that to him when you don't even know him? That's what Peniston did. Peniston shut him up and at, in front of others. And it was just humiliating. And a lot of that happened. 
but it was beaten out of me to the point that I just shut up. I did. I, you know, um, yeah. I, <clears throat> when I look back at the UFO sighting that I had seen, and also the information that I believe that even seeing the lights downloaded into me, I think that I wanted just to throw it in the back of my mind and not even think about it, not even care, not even, not one iota. Um, you know, and I did have several experiences there. So was I going to share it? No, 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 no. I don't think anyone would share it. <laughs> Unless you want to be booted out of the military, then you share. But be railroaded out is when everyone lines up in order without the evidence and the proof and just pushes you out. You're shunned and you're pushed out and you're pushed out to the point that, you know, uh, you can't do anything right. And you have to leave because you're not given a choice to stay. So... So being, seeing that happen, and, and Larry wasn't the exception. There were so many others that went through the whole, went through the whole thing. Of, I, I'm, this place is nutso. I, I need to get the hell out of here. And, and they left. And it was funny. A lot of people pretty much, they were there for, uh, they would do something crazy, like shoot their weapon off while on post. They'd be gone in a few days. I mean, that was a discussion that people have about Bonnie Tamplin. Apparently, she had been pretty much put on a plane not long after. But we don't know for sure. I don't know for sure. But I did tell Bonnie Tamplin in October of 1980 to watch her back because I saw the way they treated Lieutenant Susan Sharp. And they were, they were mean. They were more mean probably behind her back. And I, I just knew in my head, I wondered what they were saying about me. You know, I didn't want to think about it because I was still just a teenager. And I just wanted to, you know, my feelings got hurt. You know, I'm, I'm a sensitive human being. I really am. And so, but she was young, another young person, and, and I said, no guts, no glory. Glory is going to go over to the Quonset hut that she's living in, introduce herself, and, and tell her what she saw, or how what she experienced. And I just felt like it was important for her to have that intel. I really liked her a lot too. She was a sweet woman. She cared about people. She was energetic. She had a great sense of humor. She was well liked. Um, but then when all this crazy stuff happened, and you know, uh, from what they said about the orbs going into her, her uh, going into her jeep. Uh, you know, it was just a lot. It was just a lot. I mean, it was, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what, 
would have happened. I mean, in my case, the things that did happen besides the UFO sighting were pretty much uh, um, flashed in my mind. And in some cases like that, I, I would just uh, go to my gate shack and say, okay, I'm not looking. I'm not, I don't want to be scared. You know, that was my mantra. I do not want to be scared. So a lot of what happened was, and, and you'll read in this book, and you'll see on Capel Green that we were young. We were put in a situation we should not have been put in. No one gave us a heads up of what was going on. No one told us the history of the place. Um, and I, I know, you know, with Rendell from Forest, there's a lot of activity going on there still. And it's not benevolent. And, you know, there is a lot to explore. And I truly believe, if anything, there are a lot of people that would like to get their story off their chest. That's why I'm going to have have George Conway on, because you know it was once again he didn't know what was going on. He was sleeping when everything was happening in December, and then he found out he wasn't going to be working on night shift that they were putting him on a flight, which was day shift. And he's driving his his uh, vehicle. I, from what he said, um, that John Burroughs was sitting in it, and <laughs> John Burroughs decided to drive the truck, um, or the or the it was a Volari uh, car. And you know he's like, "What's going on? What's going on?" And again, no one was saying anything, and so. It was just really interesting on how, you know, people were left in the dark, but knew something was going on, but no one, no one was sharing. But he does have a really fascinating story, and um, I, I'm going to really do some nice editing for it. I could do for most of my shows, but I do believe that the place over in Rendlesham Forest is powerful. I do believe that the ghosts of all the young people that were there, to include, to include me, are still there. It's cathartic if you go visit because you know it's for real. Yeah. And anyway, but I do look forward to having Gary on my page, um, excuse me, on my podcast and to to complete it because i know he's been really busy and he's doing a lot uh but keep in mind that capel green is going to be from what i've seen so far it will be it's a passion it's it's from the heart and i know dion who's, who's the editor of it um, and the director and the camera person, he's got a lot of a lot of stuff, and he wants to do it perfectly. So, hence the reason why it's been taking so long. Um, but 
the nice thing about it is that now you have non-human that works really well. Look how thick it is. I mean, it's pretty thick. It works really well. If you read this, and then you see Cable Green, you're going to have quite a few aha moments. And you're going to feel like you've been there. And you might actually feel time moving slowly. You might feel like you start wanting to count your days down to get out of there. I mean, that's what the place was. It was, um, it was our, um, it was our war zone, and even the Cold War. And yes, it was very cold there. And uh, anyway, this is God Aliens and a cup of coffee. This is Renishun Lone Ranger. And I'm here to say, talk to you soon. Bye-bye.